Okay, welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 33 here on Friday, April 23rd, day two of the Zoom where it happened. I want to be in the Zoom where it happened, Mr. McKenna. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle. I'm Fred Garvin, male prostitute. And unlike the Biden administration, our Zoom call is working. Uh, it, it doesn't seem that complicated here. Are you wearing your mask? Because you are alone in the room there by yourself. We are actually also on a Zoom in honor of the Biden summit. It, it's, <laughs> I can't figure out if this guy is a dangerous menace or a hopeless old man. I just can't figure it out. I really can't. Let's let's start this off with uh, uh, a media clip from ABC News that encapsulates this historic Earth Day summit brought to you by the Biden administration. Here we go. And staying in Washington and President Biden kicking off a virtual Earth Day summit with world leaders on the issue of climate change, announcing new goals for reducing America's greenhouse gas emissions. Chief White House correspondent Cecilia Vega has the very latest on all of that. Good morning, Cecilia. Hey, Amy, good morning. This is basically President Biden send, and the administration here sending a signal, a very strong signal that the U.S. is back after former President Trump pulled the country out of the Paris Climate Accords. The U.S. and China, they are the world's top two polluters. And this is essentially President Biden laying out a very big target. Let me show you what he wants to do. The plan would be to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least half by 2030. That's compared to 2005 levels and nearly twice what President Obama set out in 2015. Now, the administration, they're not offering a lot of details on exactly how they would do this at this point, but really so much of this right now is about regaining the trust of the world and credibility when it comes to fighting climate change on the world stage and convincing other big nations around the world that they should try to do the same and make some of these same pushes. This is a virtual summit, Amy, 40 world leaders, including some of uh, some international rivals. You can see right there, China's Xi Jinping, Russia's Vladimir Putin. But Amy, at this point, the White House is not saying that they're not expecting any one-on-one -on -one virtual meetings anyway with those two leaders. All right, Cecilia Vega with the latest for us in Washington. Thank you, Cecilia. I want to thank Cecilia as well. <laughs> I really want to unpack this just a little bit. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It's just great. It's like, well, you know, there aren't really a lot of details. Those, um, they need to get worked out. But, you know, this wasn't really about details, was it? It was about regaining trust. It was about restoring credibility. If you noticed, he didn't pledge to restore credibility. He just pledged to reduce emissions. Um, I just, you know, it, it... <laughs> <laughs> it, you know maybe uh, encourage other countries to try to try mr mckenna to try it uh, you did, know, did president g um from china what did he say he would do what was his big commitment here uh in these in these past couple of days that he was gonna you know think real hard about only expanding the use of coal for 10 more years and then maybe do something thereafter. So he, here's what, what we got out of the, what, but, what all but, of John Kerry's but diplomacy got out of China, which by the way, he, uh, he also, uh, special envoy, Kerry also reiterated the fact that, well, we can, we can bifurcate this issue with every single other issue with China. We can do that because we, we're America. 
I hate to sound like a one note Johnny about this, but I keep asking people about it and I keep getting different answers. So I'm not sure what exactly the administration thinks about this and every other issue they have to deal with China. You know, when, and of course we say every other issue, we mean, we mean the, you know, slavery and torture and murder and destroying Hong Kong. I mean, you know, it, it Lying about just about every single thing that matters on a global scale, but threatening Taiwan and the Philippines on the regular. I mean, you know, it, 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 it uh, intellectual property theft. If you, if you care about that stuff, currency manipulation. I mean, it, it's not, it's not a small list, right? It's not a short list. So I have to be honest, this whole summit thing seemed to me to be a lot less than I was expecting. I expected it to be something big and grand and, you know, lots of pomp and circumstance. And, you know, it, it just kind of turned into a, a bad Zoom call. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the way these go, right? I mean, there's no real, like, I, I, I struggled mightily to try to to watch some of the, there was a, a hearing in the house side on quote unquote subsidies for fossil fuel. And they had experts like Greta Thunberg on there uh, to ask her her opinion about, you know, US policy. And it's the same thing. These Zooms, they're just like, they're tragically painful to watch. Oh, they're fun. Right? They're fun. It's really not. Uh, fun at all. There's one other thing that I thought was interesting. Uh, U.S. being one of the world's biggest polluters. Yeah, I'm not so sure the numbers bear that out. She's right. If you consider carbon dioxide a pollution, a pollution, right? I'm, I'm sitting here drinking my Lacroix, um, and I'm going to enjoy some some of my carbon dioxide laden Lacroix water right here. Yeah, I do want to. I want to point uh, out to our listeners that. From 2005 to 2018, the country with the largest reduction in CO2 emissions by a long shot was the United States of America, followed distantly by the UK, Europe, some countries in Europe. And the numbers increase, um, increases include Brazil, UAE, Vietnam, Turkey, India, and then China, uh, explosion of, uh, of CO2 emissions, if you want to call it a pollutant. Um, in almost every other indicator, including the criteria pollutants, the United States is crushing it. As, as the former president mm-hmm. said, we have the cleanest air and the most pristine waters. Um, yeah, I mean, it. it between 1970. Between, let me just kick, kick this out so it makes me sound smart. Between 1970 yeah. and 2018, U.S. gross domestic product increased 275%. Vehicle miles traveled increased 191%. Energy consumption increased 49%. And the U.S. population increased by 60%. During that same period of time, the total emissions of the six principal air pollutants, the stuff that actually harms you, the stuff that gives you uh, some real problems in your lungs, et cetera, dropped by 74%. These are numbers courtesy of the US Environmental Protection Agency. So I just, I I don't understand how the media can just spit out a a phrase like that with a straight face. I mean, they don't they don't care about facts, right? Numbers are 
numbers are not relevant. The you know the three numbers I got floating around in my head is are China emits about 10 billion tons of greenhouse gas, right? CO2 equivalent every year now, right? It's about 9.7 last year. So it's going to be about 10 this year. The United States now emits less than five, about 4.9, something like that. In We're going to come back in 10 years and whatever the Biden administration does, it almost doesn't matter, right? The United States has been on a nice glide path down, you know, um, emitting about one to 1.1% less each year, right? You come back in 10 years, American number is going to be four and a half billion, right? Maybe 4.3 billion. Maybe the Biden guys go crazy and get it down to 4.2 billion, right? Um, and the, you know, the Chinese number is going to look more like 13 or 14 billion. It's, you know, it's right now it's twice going to come back in, in 10 years. It's going to be three, three and a half times at, at a certain point, even the dunderheads in the United States intelligentsia and the media are going to have to confront the inescapable fact that this is a Chinese problem, right? This is not an American problem. This is a Chinese problem. And well, it's a good thing the summit happened because after all, it is about, you know, yeah, restoring know. Our, our credibility on this issue because we haven't done anything. Yeah. This country hasn't done anything over uh, during the, the four years that President Trump was in office. I mean, I'm it's pretty embar sure. embarrassing, Mike. Well, it's pre probably pretty much a result of the racism that's in our soul. That's all I can tell you. Because, you know, climate change is racism. Racism is climate change. Don't, don't. And actually, thank you for thank you for the segue. Um, <laughs> thank you for the unintentional. I do have an article. It's a little old now, but from CNN. We didn't talk about this yet. Uh, the headline is: In the end, everything is about equity. How experts say the pandemic could invigorate climate change action. So we've talked a lot about how this is sort of a um, test run for the global, you know, the globalists and everything else. Uh, this this article just blank just flat out just says yeah absolutely I'll just read an expert excerpt experts say that the COVID nineteen pandemic has been a stress test for regional and international collaboration that has strained political partnerships but despite nationalistic self interests surrounding supplies of vaccines and virus treatments some experts say it may actually put us in a better position to earnestly and successfully combat climate change in a post-pandemic society if we learn from our mistakes. The pandemic has given us a trial run, said Alice Hill, the David M. Rubenstein Senior Fellow for Energy and the Environment at the Council on Foreign Relations. But the big difference between pandemics and climate risk is that the climate has undergone permanent or irreversible damage and so we need to focus on how we build resiliency quickly and effectively on a global scale. So there's all kinds of other stuff in here about how we need to, you know, uh, do, the, do the Build Back Better thing. Um, our friends at IMF and others, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what I love about all this, it's just so it's so many word salad stuff. You're just like, what the? I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't even know what to say anymore. Except, except it just. They just pelt you with words until eventually you're like, please shut up. <laughs> uh, all of our planning going forward needs to account for the increased risk for vulnerable populations. Said the hill. Said hill. 
Those who have the least means, those who have faced historic discrimination, they suffer the most. And that actually uh, leads me to um, one other yeah. thing that I'd like to play. The guys, the guys, uh, you think about it, it's the guys who have beach houses who are most at risk here. And who suffered more than guys who have beach houses? That is true. But I do, I do, I do like the, so we have a, I'm going to put it in the show notes. We have a lovely video about the fact that Americans can breathe easier uh, on this historic Earth Day and goes through all those numbers I rattled off. But AOC has a little different approach. I'd like to play that one for you. The climate crisis is a crisis born of injustice, and it is a crisis born of the pursuit of profit at any and all human and ecological cost. That's right. Which means that we must recognize in legislation that the trampling of indigenous rights is a cause of climate change. The, the trampling of racial justice is a cause of climate change because we are allowing people and we are allowing ourselves to make sure, to, we are allowing folks to deny ourselves human rights and deny people the right to health care, the right to housing and education. That was the uh, reintroduction of uh, the Green New Deal resolution. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I uh, just wanted to uh, remind folks that uh, she's still out there alive and kicking. Her voice is really annoying. <laughs> well, can, set that aside. Set that aside. Look, if you couldn't, if you wanted to, if, if you weren't sure at this point, I should say, uh, what this, this issue is for the Democrats, for the progressives, for the left, Oh, yeah. You have to know now. You have to. Because the level of, like, inflammatory rhetoric around, like, the eminent doom and destruction, if that alone was all the rhetoric, then I would say, okay, maybe they just do really think that, you know, we're, we're destroying this planet. But they have now completely given up any pretense that this is anything other than a rallying cry for their agenda, their redistributionist agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's period, a full stop. There's nothing else about it. They, because if you look at the way that they react and the media plays along um, about this, but yet when they talk about people who, for example, may have vaccine hesitancy, they, they, de they destroy them, they demean them, right? They say, how could you even possibly think that, you know, and it's just, it's amazing to me how they can, they can just buy, the media just buys this rhetoric, hook, line, and sinker, parrots it. When it's something that they, when it's a cause they're all, they're all on board on, but then like use the exact opposite level of scrutiny on something that they don't agree with. Am I, am I thinking about this the wrong way? Didn't somebody say that Climate change was the central organizing principle of, of this generation. Was that Gore? Somebody said that, right? I mean, I didn't imagine that. Central organizing principle. Yeah, and look, I've gone back and like flipped through um, Saul Linsky, The Rules yeah, of Radicals. Yeah. I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't have the, the citation, but he speaks very openly about use ex exploiting the, the idea of pollution. Yeah, I mean, as a know, way to organize people, yeah, right? Because uh, you, you can't point to one one person 
right? I mean, the days of point source pollution are, are really sort of gone, at least in the United States. And so he's very open about it. And, you know, he has phrases like organizing for action, which by the way, is the, um, I know we're going off uh, on a Linsky tangent here, but is the exact name of Obama's I was going to say action committee. OFA. Right? So, OFA. I mean, I encourage folks to reread that. Maybe I'll throw uh, I'll throw the excerpt um, pollution into the sh into the show notes. But uh, really, it's interesting if you look at that then and now, without the tools that Belinsky could have envisioned, like the ability to you know the the, the social media and everything else. That really has accelerated all the sort of his, you know how to um, how to do this kind of stuff. It's fascinating if you go back and reread it with him not knowing the kind of technology that we have now and how it has literally accelerated all of that. We also had a Clinton administration, uh, Clinton, good gravy. We had a Biden administration person this week, this week. I'm gonna get the quote wrong, but she, she was asked, she said, she says, everybody talks about climate as part of you know, our economic plan climate is the economic plan, right? Climate action is the economic plan. Now, I'm sure that's hyperbole, but I'm equally sure there's people floating around in the administration who actually think that. For all I know, there's people around floating around the Republican Party who think that. Were you going to go somewhere with that? I was just going to tell everybody they should read my column on Monday because I'm going to just lay out some oxes and gore them. <laughs> Uh, it wouldn't be a column if you weren't doing that. There's a, I have no idea. Again, you're going to like excoriate me for these obscure publications, but there's a, there's a web deal called spiked online. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's a long read, but the, the headline is the green new deal will impoverish America. The, this corporate back plan will come at the cost of people's jobs and living standards. A guy named Joel Cockton wrote it, and uh, it's really- Wait a minute, hold on, spell his last name. Uh, it's K-O-T-K-I-N, so Kotkin. Yeah, Joel Kotkin, yeah. Kotkin, yeah, he used, to, he used to write, I think he still does write for the City Journal. Yeah. He's, he's a pretty interesting guy, yeah. And he's not a, 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 he's not a right winger. No, he's not. He's, he's, he's if anything, he's probably a, probably a registered Democrat. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good read. Uh, I'll send it to you as well. I know you love to read. Uh, but it goes through the gamut of sort of how this is really just a construct. Um, he, he, he quoted uh, AOC's former chief of staff who said, and as a reminder to our listeners, the interesting thing about the Green New Deal, it wasn't really a climate thing at all. Do you guys think of it as a climate thing? Because we really think of it as a, how do you change the entire economy thing? So, and he goes on to talk about how it's, it's like, a, uh, it's not another environmental uh, policy, but something far more fundamentally transformative. The Biden administration's embrace of it is somewhat surprising, given that the likely fallout of his plan, particularly for the working class, made both Biden and Pelosi distance themselves from it in, during the fall campaign. But now it has resurfaced, having made the metamorphosis from a leftist fantasy into a serious political initiative. So, uh, and then they, they quote uh, Blumenauer and he gets into 
a whole uh, a whole lot of detail about you know how it will displace workers um, and how it's pie in the sky. Uh, in fact, uh, a great quote from Terry O'Sullivan of the Laborers Union: "It's the it's pie in the sky bullshit about these green jobs being good middle class jobs because they're not." So yeah, uh, he, interesting stuff. He seemed to take it personally, Terry. I mean, <laughs> he should. So. I just, but just did they endorse Biden? I don't know. Did they? Of course they did. Most of them did. So, of course. Why wouldn't he? What were his What were his actual options? He. They all have to. They had to toe the party line. They had to endorse the guy. I only get annoyed about it when like people wake up one morning and say, "Hey, so it turns out this guy doesn't actually care about me." I'm like, "Yeah, dummy. What made you think he did?" Let me let me just pull one more quick thing out of here. Uh, so, who benefits from? the political focus on climate. Ironically, right now, it would be the Wall Street and Silicon Valley oligarchs who under Obama used his green energy programs to add to their already bloated bank accounts, a little rhetorical, but the Green New Deal would widen this opportunity for profiteering dramatically. This clearly is not the kind of change the economy thing the designers had in mind when they dreamt of derailing the entire free market system. After all, capitalism remains the plain villain in their tale of planetary devastation. They did not want to green it. They want to transform or destroy it. The real conflict will come to the surface when taxes need to be raised to pay for environmental virtue. Eventually, a conflict between red-leaning greens and the plutocratic green oligarchy seems likely. If this divide opens widely, there may be an opportunity for a more reasons, gradual and less socially regressive environmental approach. One focusing on preserving the health not only of the earth, but of society as well. So anyway, I, we went on a little long on that, but I, I thought it was an interesting read. So. You, you know, that's because it used the word plutocratic and it makes everybody feel smart when they read words like that. <laughs> They're like, look at me, I'm reading a story about plutocrats. I, yeah. I didn't even pronounce it right. So that's not why it interested me. It's oligarchs and plutocrats and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, man, this is why I went to college. So I could read stuff like this and you know, tell everybody about it at parties and bore the hell out of them. Interesting read, Muffet. Did you read that wonderful piece? Good Lord. Let me let me just say, I don't read. I watch television and mostly baseball. That's why nobody talks to me at parties. Speaking of baseball, we, we, the Yankees eked out a, a, a much-needed victory last night. I was very happy about and, that. And now we're only three games behind the terrible <laughs> well, yeah, the Red second Sox. record in the American League. But I, as I mentioned before we started recording, they actually got some hits, like strung some hits together. The good news is, is that the American League East is so bad, 75 wins might be enough to win. It's possible. It that's, is possible. That's, that's where we're going with this. Do we have anything else on uh, the Zoom, the big Zoom week? Yeah, I, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to point out one thing, right? I, so a bunch, of, a bunch of folks asked me to write something on it, and I probably will even though I find it to be the biggest non-event in the last five years, right, on climate. Um, The interesting thing was, you know, Biden, hey, we're going to make a great big giant pledge and we're going to bring all these countries with us and all this other hoorah. And, you know, Russia, China, India, Japan, Australia, all kind of, you know, gave him the side eye like, yeah, we're not doing any of that stuff. I mean, good for you. Congratulations. Glad to have you back. You you look you look good for a guy your age, but you know we have zero intention of doing anything here. Well, the other thing too is, 
as, as predicted, the, the doubling of the amount of climate indulgences U.S. taxpayers uh, the administration is committing to literally ship to other countries to do with it what they please. Yeah. Uh, the 100 billion a year, which, you know, is chump change these days, was like scoffed, like, like laughed at, scoffed yeah. at. Yeah, like, I'm whoa, guys, you, what? What? You reached into your pocket and pulled out some quarters? Come on, man. You owe us way more than that. Like, nobody was like, oh, my God, that's so generous. Thank you so much, America. You know, it was just, it, it went over like a, like a, uh, I'll, I'll be clean here. But uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the global, the global South, they're thinking $100 billion a year for the rest of our natural lives. And, you know, we're thinking, yeah, we'll give you one off of like 30 billion and, you know, that'll be that. This whole thing is just, just ridiculous. Like I said, but, but, but we'll, we'll, um, I got one other we'll wait for one the details. Other. We wait, we'll wait for the details. Well, okay. I'll give you one other number before we, before we walk away from this, this silliness. Since the Kyoto protocol was signed 24 years ago, global emissions of greenhouse gases have increased 50%. So for every year since the Kyoto protocol, basically, Global emissions have popped up 2%, which is bigger than the um, rate of population growth, right? It, it's, it, it's crazy. It, only an international group of people could look at it and go, hey, we've been doing the same thing for 25 years and it's been failing. So let's just keep right on doing it. Meanwhile, uh, we quote unquote did nothing yeah. uh, over the last 10, 12 years and uh, you just shred yeah. it in terms of emissions so i'm deeply um, torn. i'm deeply torn right a part of me doesn't want the doesn't want the, the the environmental left to figure out that the right way to do this is let the free market do it part of me is perfectly happy letting them keep grinding away and hoping they'll get the right answer from some bureaucracy somewhere you know just to keep them out of my hair on other issues right like healthcare or defense or something that's actually relevant but that's the that's the dark part of me well uh, and you know <laughs> i We've gotten, I've been bomb personally been bombarded over email with. It's interesting how the first thing that people get go to is it's not even possible to get 50% emission reductions by 2030. Yeah. You would have to shut down all the coal. Let's see how Joe Manchin, you know, manages that one. You'd have to um, you'd have to have the stock of natural gas, heating oil, and propane. Uh, to commercial buildings converted to all electric. That's 1.4 million buildings. Like they, and these are all, I mean, I'm obviously going to push these out just to show how ludicrous it is. But the fact that you go there first and say, well, it wouldn't even be possible it, is not the right, it's not the starting ground here. Anything's possible. I could get you 50% right now if you wanted me to. Yes. What, what will it do to folks? Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, it's, it's all possible. It's just, what are you willing to do for it? And the, the answer is always, not much, not much. Yeah. So the, the technical term for for the uh, for all these countries is commitments to the Paris Agreement is an NDC, nationally determined contribution. Correct. It's a nice deal for China. See what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll we'll have to see if we can socialize that a bit a bit more. All right, I'm gonna move on. Uh, yeah. Breaking news here. 
Breaking news here on the, well, it's not breaking anymore since it is uh, it has broke, but I'm going to break it here. So the breaking news, Mike, is we have somebody announced they're running for governor of California. Oh, no, I did see this. Uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner is in. She's all in. Uh, enough's enough. I'm fighting. California is worth fighting for. I'm in. And let's see, put together a team of prominent Republican operatives to advise the campaign, including. Yeah, Brad Parscale, right? Yep, Tony Fabrizio. Tony Fabrizio, what the? Okay, keep going. Steven Chung. Never heard Trump of him. White House and reelection campaign aide who worked with, who worked Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2003 oh, recall God. election. So uh, Dustin off, you know, uh, here's the quote from Jenner. California has been my home for nearly 50 years. I came here because I knew that anyone, regardless of their background or station, could turn their dreams into realities. But for the past decade, we have seen the glimmer of the Golden State reduced by one party rule that places politics over progress and special interests over people. Sacramento needs an honest leader with a clear vision. She's a proven winner. And the only outsider who can put an end to Gavin Newsom's disastrous time as governor. So we got one in. Jenner becomes the third Republican to announce their candidacy. Business, businessman John Cox, 28 gubernatorial nominee who lost to Newsom by nearly 25 points. So he's, yeah. don't call it a comeback, Cox. Don't call it a comebacks. Comeback. And then former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer. Falconer, yeah. Um, uh, Doug Osi. Remember Doug Osi? He's in also. Hell yeah, I remember Doug. Um, Doug, Doug must be seventy years old by now. Yeah, he was miserable then, so uh, I'm yeah. not for him. I have a personal, uh, a personal uh, beef, beef with with him. But uh, that's uh, that's an insider deal. Not 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 critical for this. Jenner is the celeb so far. I don't know. I'm not sure she. Sorry, has the muscle uh, anymore <laughs> to do that. I'm sorry, uh, but but I would say I don't I don't think that that's I I think that's a weak team. It, so far. It, it's, a, it's a weak team so far. Yeah, so you know, the Republicans this, might screw it up again. In other words, they have a golden opportunity. Another another use of golden there, golden state. Well, the the tricky thing is is that is that there's there here's the room here's the lane to run in in California, right? Lane to run in in California is you got to have a libertarian streak. You think about you think about the ballot initiatives that failed in California this cycle, this last cycle, right? The 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 gig economy um, referendum failed, and the property tax on businesses, right? Prop thirteen applying to pro, uh, businesses failed, right? It was a pro business. Um, it was a pro-business victory and the gig economy was a pro-business victory. And the, the thing they had in common was there's a generalized sense that nobody in Sacramento could be trusted. So, so the winning, if a Republicans want a winning candidate, they need somebody who can be libertarian there and mount a successful critique on the state unions, right? More specifically the state education unions. None of those people, Kevin, Osei, Jenner, or um, it's certainly not John Cox, right? Can do that. Um, you know, Rick Grinnell could maybe do it. Right? I was just gonna say. I mean, uh, I think he'd be a much more. Uh, he'd be a much stronger candidate. Yeah, he'd be a much stronger. Into the Jenner constituency a little, 
but yeah, I, I tell you the other person you know, with, with him, he's a, he's a clearly identified as a pro Trumper. So. Well, and this see, this is where this is where the the other the other person who the, there's a couple other people who could do it. If I were going to construct the the candidate, I would get um, Congresswoman Kim. Except I would I would um, you know there's a, there's a couple of Congresswomen you know, from Orange County, right? Kim is one, and I can't remember the name of the other. It's unfortunate they're brand new members of Congress because I think yeah. if they had, if they had two more years under their belt either or both of them would be great candidates because they get how to win in a libertarian environment. They're women and they, um, in both cases are, are Asian uh, Americans, right? And they've shown they can win in really tough seats, right? Contested, contested circumstances, right? That's the, that's the other thing that the, the, the four, you know, the four names you got, none of those guys has ever won anything. Yeah. I look, I just, I'm waiting. There's gotta be a better, yeah, there's, there's be a better a, answer. There's there. got to be a better answer here, but I, I do, I agree with you 100%. I just don't have a name right now that you can no. pull out. It, it, you know, no one it, has sort of emerged in the state. The recall is sort of the the state's response to to Newsom. Yeah, right? the recall itself, but that's not transferable. You need a candidate who's going to ride this. Yeah, you 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 need you need you you could get a fresh face. You could get somebody who hasn't run. But it would have to be somebody who, who, like I said, libertarian streak, critique the unions, bang on education, bang on housing, and keep the eye on the ball. Right? That the real problem is the real problem is the hegemony in in Sacramento more than anything else. And that, I wonder if if I just I don't know. I mean, he's done. He's been there, done that. But God, McClintock just. Yeah, I know. I know. You keep thinking. Everybody keeps thinking about Tommy. Um, I haven't talked to him about it. <laughs> Maybe he's not from a particularly great part of the state. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and he's a white guy and that's just, um, but you know, if you were, if you're talking about guys who, a guy who could just make the argument and like drive the point and run a campaign, Tom would be your guy. That's for sure. It says something about the circus that the post Republican, uh, post Trump Republican party has become that we can't come up with a decent candidate in the largest state in the union. Um, you know, and, and the fact that the fact that Brad is, um, Brad Parscale is participating in what is probably going to wind up being a circus, the Jenner campaign, um, is dispiriting and discouraging, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know uh, what kind of discipline Jenner has and, and all that other stuff. So hey, Tom, let me help you. Let me help you. <laughs> don't let's the guy, the guy, the guy, the guy is famous. The woman person is famous for a reality television show yeah i mean what what does that tell you about what, what well, the maybe, maybe, they, maybe they think that the the whole trump apprentice thing translates but this is not the right to me this, from my gut it says it's not the right uh, no of course not don't be ridiculous it, it, who in the world when confronted with a bad situation says hey you know what we need let, 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 let's go get that person from the reality show on Let's, let's 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 call up somebody who was insane enough to hang out with the Kardashians. Yeah, said said no one ever. Yeah, well, I sure hope they uh, someone emerges here uh, because I I do. Oh, yeah. We're past the point of uh, yeah, man. No oh, return yeah. on the recall now, and and it, it would be ashamed if this this opportunity wasn't capitalized on. You know, uh, it reminds me uh, uh, our Cuomo watch. 
I think we're both going to be eating crow on this one. At this point, I, I'm part of me hopes he survives, right? You yeah, because at least it'll, it'll um, I mean, maybe he runs again too. Maybe he feels like, well, heck, I can, I, if I survive that, I can, I can probably win re-election. I don't think he can beat Tish James, but I'll tell you what, he can make it very difficult for the next Democrat to run in that state. And unlike California, the Republicans already have um, two pretty serious contenders lining up, right? Two people who could win the race and who have won races and could win again, right? And and neither of them, not neither of them, um, are reality television stars. Not it, inexplicably, they, they're just doing their thing, right? <laughs> it's incredibly distressing. Um, it really is. It's incredibly distressing. Republicans can't come up with a decent candidate. All right. Well, I want to move on to January 6th. Talk about <laughs> it briefly. I don't have a, a clip for this one, but uh, the Post, Washington Post, once again, uh, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick died from strokes one day after. The ruling will make it difficult for prosecutors to pursue homicide charges in the officer's death. The medical examiner said the autopsy found no evidence. It's terrible that he passed away, obviously, but uh, the 42-year-old officer suffered an allergic reaction to chemical irritants, which Diaz said would have caused his throat to quickly seize. Diaz said there was no evidence of internal or external injuries. Yeah. Diaz said he could not comment on whether Signic had a pre-existing condition citing privacy laws. Yeah. Um, the, this is a, a tweet from uh, a reporter or uh, an independent journalist uh, says it pretty well. There's no such thing as a noble lie, especially in journalism. This particular fabrication made its way into the impeachment trial against Trump and out of Joe Biden's mouth. It was clear from the start it was highly dubious, but few journalists cared it served its purpose. Yeah, it, that is totally correct. And you know, you, you, you know that I have been banging on the Emmys report, waiting patiently for it. And that's why I've been waiting patiently for it because I knew it had to, the longer it went, we went without seeing it, the more you knew that it had to be something like this, right? And the thing about it is that the irreducible minimum here is you still got 300 people sitting there in detention in DC jails um, waiting for trial. You know, let, let's have these trials. Let's get on with this thing. This is, this, is, this is a stain. This is getting to be a stain on the judicial system of this country. You know, it's bad. It's bad enough that the political, the politicians have used this thing. Um, now you have the Justice Department um, getting in the middle of the embarrassment. And, you know, Officer Sicknick I'm, I was a young man, and I'm sorry that he's dead, but he shouldn't have laid in state, right? That's the decision that Nancy Pelosi made. Um, and that's, um, nobody's asked about that. Um, you know, yeah. Well, Nancy Pelosi likes to use dead people for props, it, it, uh, and she it was clear uh, in her statement, in her ill uh, ill spoken statement uh, following the the verdict uh, in Minnesota as well. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to play it because it's gross um, and somewhat uh, embarrassing, but uh, it's it's just clear that you know everything is a prop for these folks for the purpose of power. Yeah, and, and you know, the, interestingly, yesterday in the wake of the sick of the medical examiner's report on on Officer Sicknick, 
Nancy Pelosi kind of waved off the January 6th commission. She said, okay, you know, whatever, I'll let, I'll let, you know, I'll let the Republicans um, put whoever they want on it and let it, let the scope be whatever it is, which I thought was interesting. You know, she's obviously figured out that, okay, I've gotten all the political mileage I can get out of that. Time to not care. Yep. Time to move on. Yeah. You know, I usually don't say this about people in the business because I don't really know. Um, and for the most part, I think people are do the best they can do and the, the, they do the right as they see the right. She's, she's a bad person. She's a bad person. You know, she, she, she does stuff that's intentionally damaging um, to the Republic and that's, that's not good. Well, I guess she figures this is her last run, right? So. That's exactly what it is, right? She, she's going to be going to do her mark one way or the other. Yeah, well, you know, the tricky thing about that is she still has to face the judge of all things. And he's going to ask some hard questions, I think. So I could be wrong. Maybe she's just going to die and go into the void. I don't know. But if there is a God, you want to think at 80 years old, you'd be a little more careful about stuff, right? A little bit more, put a little bit more thought into it. All right, what, what's on your list, amigo? I got a couple other things, but uh, a little on the lighter side. The only thing I got is that um, happened this week with almost no fan, fanfare at all, and a hell of a lot more important than the than the Zoom meeting, you know, between um, President Biden and our, our Chinese masters um, was. The Biden administration announced this week that they were revisiting the California waiver for automobile emissions standards. That went that that just appeared and went without comment. But it's the it's the actually most significant thing the administration is going to do on climate change. So uh, we don't we don't really have a sense of what yet they're going to come up with. Nothing has leaked yet. What do you, I mean, well, I guess the, the leak was, is that they're going to lift, they're going to rescind the waiver. Yeah. Right. So that means well, California they, is back to, back to their own, you know, having their own number. Right. Yeah. And all the states that join California, because uh, under the law. Uh, right. 12 states, 12 governors, 12, 12 governors requested, um, Oh, how, how, did, how did they put it? They requested the Biden administration um, essentially require EVs, same as California, right? Um, so those those things are all tangled up together. <laughs> yeah, I'm just taking it in, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, that, that's, that's, it's clear that's, the, that's where the combat's going to be for the next couple of years is, are they really going to outlaw the internal combustion engine directly or indirectly by use of CAFE? and the renewable fuel standard and and i i think the answer is yeah i think they're serious this time yeah and uh how complacent will the auto industry be in in helping them the auto guys are gonna the auto guys are gonna say yes provided their bonus pool doesn't get screwed up they you know they don't they don't care right they don't care and, and you know the thing is this is you want to talk about equity considerations this is an incredibly inequitable thing to do. It's going to increase the price of automobiles. Um, you want to talk about um, social cost of carbon. This is the most expensive um, way you can get to uh, uh, reduce carbon, cut of carbon from the, from um, from being emitted. Um, you want to talk about life cycle. 
there's probably nothing more destructive to mine than cobalt and lithium. Um, it, it, this is just like the worst idea I've ever heard. And I don't get why nobody's sort of pushing back on it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I look, I'll give them credit. They're, they're just coming out guns blazing. I mean, obviously this is, they're going to probably shift gears for a while and get off of climate stuff and all of this other business after their big confab this week. But, uh, it's coming fast and furious last Friday, the interior department eviscerated all of the, the American energy first EOs. Uh, we kind of knew that was coming, but it, 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 they literally wrote in a, in a memo, this is not, these, none of these things are the priority of the, of the United States any longer, uh, in uh, energy independence, for example. Uh, so, um, they're, they're flooding the system. Um, and it's difficult for folks to push back and fight everything at once. Right. So, but the, as you mentioned, and as others like Jim, our friend Jim uh, just put out a piece today about the, the likelihood of, of, of a clean energy mandate from the federal government is pretty low. Um, where are they going to get, I mean, where are they going to be able to meet this, this aggressive, you know, pledge? And, and I think the, the question was posed to circle back. And she said, well, this president is, first of all, this president will get reelected. So we will have, will have a sustained eight-year commitment to this like really <laughs> that's your answer <laughs> so i don't know how like you said i don't know how, how much of it's gonna stick um uh, but the sum total of everything they're throwing at it is is pretty pretty impressive yeah it's it's, it's a lot of money um and, and you know i'm federal government wasting money who cares um the car thing is the car thing, you know, that's where, that's where it's going to touch voters and that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. All right. We'll um, would not be an unregulated podcast without a short little COVID segment. Uh, New York post says Biden warns that if Americans don't get jabs, they might have to cancel July 4th. So <laughs> we're still, he's still on this. He's still on this July 4th deal. Right. <laughs> Let me play a quick clip. Hold up. Sure. It's great progress. But if we let up now and stop being vigilant, this virus will erase the progress we've already achieved. The sacrifices we've made, the lives that have been put on hold, the loved ones who've been taken from us, the time we're never going to get back. To celebrate our independence from this virus on July 4th with family and friends in small groups, we still have more to do in the months of May and June. I, I, we all, it closed up, we all need to mask up until the number of cases goes down until everyone has a chance to get their shot. <laughs> I don't understand. Does he think that we're all just sitting around waiting, yes. waiting to have yes. a barbecue on the 4th of July? Yes. Yes. Is he still, I mean, is, so that talking point was like pumped into his brain. I, I don't, I don't think it's months bad. ago and he can't get off of it. I don't think it's that, Tom. I think he's, I think if you're a run of the mill, if you're a run of the mill Democrat from the Northeast or from California, you are still living under a, a, a modified lockdown or maybe just a flat out lockdown. And, and you are, if you're not vaccinated, you're staying away from people and all this other stuff. I get the feeling he has no clue that 75% of the nation is just doing whatever the hell they feel like doing. It, it just, I mean, you know, I, it, it, 
it's crazy. It makes him look ridiculous and out of touch. Is I guess my bottom line here, right? It, it, <laughs> let me let me emphasize. Let, let me uh, read something from the article that makes that point. Retired Admiral Brett. Oh, I'm gonna butcher this name. Giroir. Giroir. Thank you. Giroir. Yeah. Assistant Secretary of Health last year countered Biden saying that by July, we should be almost back to normal with herd immunity with everybody getting vaccines. I don't know what reality he's talking about, Gerard said. <laughs> it seemed very disconnected from the reality and where we are and what the science says. Science says small gatherings outdoors is fine. And then McConnell weighed in. The president's proclamation was far out of step with what's already happening across this country. It was advice from an alternate universe. The president and his advisors may need to get out more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I declare that July 4th is not, is not going to be celebrated because we didn't meet our numbers. Yeah. I, I, Ian McConnell, like he so often is, is right on. He's just like, you, you guys got to get out a little bit, man. It's like, <laughs> You know, the whole world's moving on. You should move along with it. It, 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 like I said, it makes him look ridiculous and out of touch. And well, Circleback had some comments about their effort to um, strengthen vaccine confidence in quote unquote white conservative communities. Yeah. Play this brief clip. Right. Hold up. Also investing $3 billion to states and community-based organizations to strengthen vaccine confidence in the highest risk and hardest hit communities. And often people uh, think of that as just black and brown communities, and that is not. As you've noted, that is also conservative communities, white evangelicals. It's a range of communities around the country. What we found to be most effective is to work with these local organizations. So faith-based organizations, community health organizations, civic leaders, and others who can really get this message deeply uh, in communities. We've also had a number of our um, members of our COVID team from Dr. Fauci and, uh, and Dr. Collins uh, participate, as an example, participate in a range of meeting interviews. You know, an example is Dr. Collins participated in the 700 Club. Dr. Nunez Smith hosted a Faith Leaders Roundtable. Uh, we're also looking for, we've run PSAs on the deadliest catch. We're engaged with NASCAR and country music TV. We're looking for a range of creative ways to get directly connected to white conservative communities. We won't always be the best messengers, but we're still trying to meet people where they are, but also empower local organizations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised she didn't list off, you know, we're sending people to Klan meetings. Um, it, it, you know, she said it, it too, it, like she read it, like she's just it, uncomfortable, right? But, and then also like, first of all, when, when a politician, or their representative says we're investing. Don't forget, folks. Yeah, man. They're spending your money, three billion of it, on running ads uh, on the deadliest catch and 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 on country music TV. Just, just well, I'm, I'm glad those guys are making money. Um, but like I said, I I'm half surprised that she didn't include clan meetings on the list because you could tell that's how she was thinking about it. I mean, hell, we've. We've been to Klan meetings and American Legion halls. We've been to all kinds of places that, that we don't usually go. Um, it, and, it, fact is, is, uh, and I want to remind folks as well. Uh, I'm sorry, I just uh, yeah, just came popped into my head. Yeah, there are. Uh, there's a very diverse cabinet. It, the people running this administration are a bunch of old white guys and gals. 
Let's it, not kid ourselves. Let's it's not, not kid ourselves. Okay? It's crazy. It's crazy. The other thing that kills me about that is that, and you know, you never really think about it to hear it said, the word that they do not want to use under any circumstances is religion or religious. Oh, of course. You mentioned his Easter proclamation. Well, I'm like, what the hell is a faith-based organization? Do they mean religious organizations? Is that what they mean? Faith, faith leaders? Do you mean religious leaders? They just, it, it's annoying. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's a thing. It's a small thing, but I find it annoying because it's an intentional thing, right? It's not accidental. All right, and uh, I want to uh, circle back <laughs> quick to climate change. Um, I found this clip from Professor Carey. You said twice getting to net zero is going to be hard, really hard. And uh, just remind everybody that, that that will depend on whether or not we have some breakthrough technologies and breakthrough innovations, number one. But even if we get to net zero, we still have to get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So this is a bigger challenge than a lot of people have, have, have sort of really grabbed onto yet. You're off to such a great quick start. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. Are, are, we, are, are we off to a quick start? Did I miss something? <laughs> the clip I didn't find, uh, though I heard it somewhere, was he, remind, he reiterated that even if we went to zero, even if all the other countries went to zero, it just wouldn't make a difference. It it. It, you it know, just wouldn't make a difference. You can see why he failed as a presidential candidate, right? He he seriously couldn't sell cold beer to guys coming off a work site. I mean, he's just hopeless, right? So I, I think that the carry. I think that uh, a good start for uh, for getting carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere is to abolish ketchup. I because I think. Heinz uses like what some two million tons of tomatoes every year. I'm amazed it's that few. I would and guess last more. I checked, that's a whole lot of CO2. I, I think we should probably just ban private aircraft. No, that you don't understand. That that that's the only way he, that's only way I can that someone like him can travel. He buys offsets, Tom. Don't be mocking him. He buys offsets. All right. got- and and I don't have a, a clip of the day. But I have a tweet of the day. Okay. Joe Biden. Joe Biden, he tweeted. He did. What what did he say? (laughs) Well, you ask and I shall deliver. This Earth Day, I'm proud to say science is back. Oh, for God's sake. I think the Steakum guy is going to have some Steakum. Get the Steakum guy. Let's get this. Where is the Steakum guy's retweet on that one? We got to find it. <laughs> Log off, bro. Log off. <laughs> Science is back, baby. Oh, it's so embarrassing. He, seriously, he's like your horribly embarrassing grandfather. He's like, dude, come on, man. Don't try to be hip. All right, Mr. McKenna, what else do you have for us this week? Uh, That's it for me. Um, You know, next week's another week, and we'll probably have more defeats and victories. So we'll see how it goes. Sounds great. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode of the Unregulated Podcast. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll be back next week. Bye.